Hello, this is Michael James King coming to you from beautiful Roundtown, USA, where Benjamin listened closely to Rabbi Greenbaum read from the Bible. May I ask you a question? Ben asked. Of course, go ahead, ask your question, replied the rabbi. Well, the Bible says that the children of Israel crossed the Red Sea, continued Ben. Also that the children of Israel built the temple. And the children of Israel did this, and the children of Israel did that. Didn't the grown-ups ever do anything? (laughs) This is yet another edition of God's Love Club, the podcast that talks about God's divine love and what it means for you today. We, as always, are giving a shout-out to spirit-led Christians everywhere and greeting them with a holy kiss. We confess Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, thanking him for his sacrifice on the cross of Calvary, and we look forward to his soon appearing in the clouds. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that your voice will be heard today throughout the land, and that your will will be done as we speak about your sovereignty to the people that are listening. We ask that a revelation of your sovereignty be given to those in the sounds of our voice, that we all come to a perfect understanding of how you are Lord over all. In Jesus' name. Today, my co-host with the Spirit-led most is the lovely Christy Smith, the darling of Roundtown, USA. Christy is happy and well-adjusted in beautiful downtown Roundtown, where she believes without limits, prays for her family and friends unceasingly, and treats everyone with loving kindness. The title of this podcast today is Understanding God's Sovereignty. Hey, Christy. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I guess that was the original child slave labor, huh? <laughs> the children of Israel. I know. They were doing everything. I know. Your was just sitting watching. <laughs> Today in this podcast, we're going to talk about God's sovereignty. And the reason that I felt that it would be a good topic to explore is the tabernacle blessing and the tabernacle movement that is coming upon the whole world is an act of a sovereign God. And... It is my desire that we be prepared in our hearts and minds to receive God in whatever way he deems to show himself. And in the tabernacle blessing, he's going to do things that we previously thought could not be done. And so I want to talk about what it means for God to be sovereign today so that we can explore this concept a little bit with our listeners. What do you think? When we think of God's sovereignty, we think he has final authority. We think of the idea of him being over everything. But what we usually don't think is that he would do things that we don't really understand or we don't really expect. Sometimes we'll think of it in terms of if we have a loved one that dies, especially if it's a premature death, and we think, well, God is sovereign and he has the right to do that if he wants to. There was an earthquake somewhere and there's damage and we think, okay, well, God is sovereign, he has the right to do that. But the problem is that we oftentimes believe that God won't move outside of the way that we understand him. Yeah, exactly. If we believe a certain thing about God and he does something that goes outside of that box, most of the time we won't attribute that to God and we'll say that can't be God because my understanding of God says that he would do this. And we define God's sovereignty by our understanding of God and his nature. The Pharisees were very guilty of this when Jesus came to the earth. They understood God very, very well, they thought. They knew the scriptures. In fact, Jesus said, you search 
the scriptures, thinking that in them you're going to find eternal life, but you don't realize that they're pointing to me. And if they could really be led by the Spirit of God as they were studying those scriptures, those that knew the Spirit of God could recognize Jesus as the Messiah. But he did things that demonstrated God's sovereignty that went against what the Pharisees thought could be done. For example, when he was with his disciples in the field of grain, and they were grabbing the heads of grain off and basically harvesting them so they would have something to eat, he was accused of working on the Sabbath. His comment was, God is the Lord of the Sabbath, meaning he has sovereignty over the Sabbath. And whether or not that actual act was something that was supposed to be done or not supposed to be done, the point that Jesus was making was, God gets to decide that. And even if it was previously wrong for someone to grind the grain in their hand on the Sabbath, because God is sovereign, he can say, no, this is okay. So just like when David and his men came to the tabernacle and they ate the showbread, those laws about the showbread were prescribed by God. He had a specific design and a plan for what was supposed to be done, and to just come in and eat them was very inappropriate based on what God had said. But God didn't judge David and his men for coming and eating them when they were hungry, and Jesus reiterated that in his response to the Pharisees about his disciples harvesting on the Sabbath. God is the Lord of the Sabbath, just like God was the Lord of the showbread in the tabernacle. And if he said it can be used in this way, even if it seemingly went against the way that he had said things needed to be done in the past, he had the right to do that. That's his sovereignty. I believe that you've hit upon a very important precept in the scriptures that Jesus was Lord of the Sabbath. And this is a fundamental concept that relates to sovereignty. Because Jesus is not only the Lord of the Sabbath, he's Lord of everything. He's even Lord of marriage. And the reason that we're talking about sovereignty today is there's people that get caught in this kind of thinking that, well, it's not that God can't do it, it's that he'll never do it. And their doctrine becomes the box that has the sides of the walls that God will never go beyond because they've defined God that way. And God is really famous for doing the unexpected. He's really famous for coming to the temple and driving out the money changers because the money changers and those who sold animals for sacrifices in the temple were violating the very heart of what God meant the temple to be. It was supposed to be a quiet, reverent, holy place for prayer of all nations. That was the intent. It wasn't supposed to be a market. Mm-hmm. And throughout the years, the Israelites had let the world encroach on God's territory. And God just came one day in the form of Jesus Christ and drove them all out. And it was his perfect right to do so. God is sovereign, meaning he can do literally anything he wants with anyone he wants, Mm -hmm. whenever he wants. And when we limit God into some predefined doctrine that we form from our own reasoning out of Scripture, our view of God becomes restricted until we can't see who he truly is. And when he comes in a different way than we expect, we can't understand him. In this generation, God is coming again to the world through the body of Christ, through individuals who are filled with the Spirit, who yield to his will. And It's not us, but Christ who is living through us that people are going to begin to see. But again, Jesus will not act like we expect him to act. 
and many will be stumbled because God does not appear to fit their preconceived ideas. And this is a very big thing that is going to make a huge difference for many, many people. Because whether or not you accept God as he chooses to come will literally mean your salvation. Because if you reject Christ, you reject God. Mm-hmm. My heart is that as many be saved as possible. My heart is as many receive the truth as possible and that God work through that truth to open their minds and hearts to his revelation. And if we don't believe he's truly sovereign and we don't know his voice as the voice of our shepherd, we will not accept him when he comes. And this is the crux of what's going to go on quite soon. God is going to come in tabernacles. He's going to start being himself, doing whatever he sovereignly wants. And the people that don't think he's coming that way are going to reject him just because their doctrine says he can't be like that. And they're going to miss the move of God because even though Jesus is standing right in front of them, they reject it. And when you reject light, where is there to go except darkness? And this Mm. is the thing. If you can't accept Jesus as he wants to come, you'll run someplace else. That's very true, and that's a big danger. When God set up the tabernacle in Shiloh, he was there. He was present for a long time. Then when he left, it wasn't the same anymore. I remember visiting Israel and going to the location where they think the original tabernacle was in Shiloh. And I remember standing there, and it was just this dirt area. And as I was standing there, I was expecting that I was going to feel some sort of presence of God. This is where God used to show up in a very powerful way. But as I stood there, there was nothing. And it made me realize God might be moving powerfully in a location or in a way at a certain time, but when he decides to move on, he's not there anymore. It's like you mentioned, the light moved and what's left is the darkness. When Jesus came, he was the fulfillment of the scriptures. And the Pharisees and the Jewish people who didn't receive him for who he was, though they had been the people who had received the light and presence of God, and there was a time when Solomon's temple was absolutely powerful with the presence of God and the glory of God that came down, when God moved from the temple to his son, Jesus, and the people rejected that light, there was no longer a place they could go in the temple and find that light. Just because God used to be there doesn't mean that he was still there. And that's the danger that I believe is inherent in what is happening in the Christian religion today. We've kind of fallen into Phariseeism 2.0, where we think we get it. We studied scripture, we understand the coming of Christ, we understand salvation, we understand being filled with the Spirit, we understand redemption, we think we even understand the end times, we think we understand the rapture, the millennium, we got it all figured out, and so this is how things are going to play out, and this is who Jesus is, and this is who God is. But if God decides to come and manifest in a different way than he has in the past, Most of us as believers will reject that because we've got this box set up. This is what God is and this is what he will do. But if God wants to move outside that box, we will reject him just like the Pharisees rejected Jesus. And Jesus is present on the earth today. He is present in the form of his spirit, which resides in his believers. And just as the Shekinah glory moved from the temple to Jesus himself when he was on earth, it's now moved from the physical body of Jesus, which is in heaven, to the physical bodies of his believers. Exactly. And so we are the ones that are now manifesting the glory of God. We are the ones that are manifesting Jesus to the world. 
And however God chooses to do that is what God gets to do. It's his choice. And our danger is to presuppose that we know what God would do and not do and consequently reject the light and end up in the darkness. I'm so cognizant of this for my own life, you know, because I think about theological things all the time. Yeah. And I tend to form my own opinion based on what I receive from God, and that becomes the limit of my understanding. And then God goes beyond my understanding, and I have to listen to him more than what I think. And it's so subtle, you can be caught in it so easily. I remember just a few months ago, something happened, and I just had to hit my head and said, how could I do that? I was caught in my own legalism. (laughs) And I had to admit that I was wrong and say, okay, God, this is how you want to do it. That's okay by me. And in the beginning, you know, I was just being so hard one way, and then it just, like a bolt of lightning, came to me that I was seeing it wrong. And thank God, God can still talk to me like that, Mm -hmm. you know. And I'm so cognizant that in the future, if I'm not careful, I will reject the very thing I'm talking about. (laughs) Yeah, we're all in danger of that, right? Yeah, and and we have to remain humble Mm -hmm. and pliable and listen to the Holy Spirit above our own reason. Yeah, that's right. You know... Tabernacles is not a doctrine. It's not a systematic theology that I've worked out. Tabernacles is an experience. And that experience is a oneness with God, a oneness with His Spirit, a hearing of His voice moment by moment. And that is the basis of our fellowship. Not that we believe a certain doctrine, not that we believe a certain future prophecy, We just believe in Jesus. Mm -hmm. We believe in hearing Jesus' voice and doing what he says when he says to do it. If you do that, you're my brother and sister. That's right, yeah. This is what it's going to come down to, knowing that God is sovereign. Because I can guarantee you that what God is about to do is going to shock the socks Mm -hmm. off of everybody who is hearing my voice. It is going to be so different than you imagined God could be you'll say, whoa, really? Part of you is going to say, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the other part says, I want a one ray screaming because it's so different. <laughs> and you're going to have to decide at that time, are you going to listen to God or are you going to listen to the scream part of your mind? The whole thing when I first experienced tabernacles, I think 35 years ago, is was I going to allow God to be himself and accept him how he chose to show himself to me? Or was I going to cleave unto the doctrine that I had been so carefully fed in Bible college. I literally had to decide that, come what may, I'm just going to listen to God's voice. And I just committed. I did know that I knew my father and I wanted to be with him. And that seemed the way to know him because the doctrine was just killing me. I knew so much about God and I had so little of him. Yeah, isn't that interesting? It was terrible. I remember I wrote a letter to a teacher at Bible college and I said, I'm learning all this stuff, but I feel so dry, and I I just feel dead inside. What's going on with me? And I thought I was the only one. And then the teacher asked if he could read that at noon chapel. And so he read it out loud, and he asked, is there anybody else that feels like this in Bible college? Literally everybody in the auditorium stood up. Wow. Weeping, because they all felt dead and dry without the presence of God, while they were studying the scriptures eight hours a day. And I just shook my head because I thought I was the only one. And I felt like crap. 
I could not believe that I was learning so much about God, but didn't experience it. I would pray hours in the back chapel. And I remember I was just crying out to God one day. I couldn't feel his presence. I couldn't get in touch with him. And this other lady that had been praying in there touched my hand as she left. And it was like a bolt of Mm. lightning. I felt God through the touch of her finger on my hand. The love of God came through that woman in such an amazing way. I will never forget it. I could not reach God by myself. But when she touched me, I felt the touch of the Almighty. The way I was told to do it didn't work. And the way that might have seemed inappropriate did. So what was I going to believe? Well, I believed the touch. Yeah. Because I felt the touch. I felt it in my spirit. God was sovereign. It was a little thing to her, maybe, but that's been 35 years ago, and I still remember it as if it happened yesterday. God is not bound by anyone or anything. He is sovereign. If he wants to greet the brethren with a holy kiss, it is his right. If he wants to move you from one situation that is not healthy or not good for you to another situation that is, that you can be used of him, it is his right. If he chooses to break an earthly contract that he did not author, it is his right. It was his right to flood the earth and kill every living thing except what was on the ark. His perfect right. He gets to do anything he wants. And he's going to prove it in spades by this coming move of the Spirit. Mm -hmm. And we all assume as Bible-believing Christians that, yeah, he can do whatever he wants, but he won't violate his word. God won't violate his own word, but he may move in a way that shows us what he truly means by what he says. And there are times when he gave commands to his people, even in the Old Testament, that went against the things that he later said to Israel was sin. For example, he told Abraham to go sacrifice Isaac. There are a lot of laws after Abraham's (laughs) descendants received the law from God, a lot of laws about not sacrificing your children as the pagans did. It was forbidden. Terrible, terrible Terrible thing. thing that God himself said, you will not do this. But prior to that, he had told Abraham, sacrifice Isaac. Now, Isaac ultimately wasn't sacrificed. He provided a ram, but his directive to Abraham was to do that. And the fact that Abraham was willing to do that is what proved his faith in God. It wasn't that he started to do it and God said, this is a sin. I can't believe you're doing this. He was the one that commanded Abraham to do it. He commanded Hosea to marry Gomer the prostitute. And as she was continually unfaithful to him, he commanded her to stay married to him. And the reason he was doing that was to prove a point about his devotion to the nation of Israel. But there are many laws in the Jewish scripture that talk about not being with a wife who's been unfaithful. That was not something that was allowed, quote unquote, by the doctrine that God gave to the Jewish people. So, We need to understand that God gets to do what he wants, and sometimes he'll do things outside of the box, either to prove a point, to prove who he is, or to accomplish a purpose that he wants to accomplish. He breaks the laws of physics. Jesus walked through walls. God moved Philip from one place to another because he wanted him to catch that man and explain to him what he was reading in Isaiah. So we need to recognize that we don't have the ability to fully comprehend God. The Bible is given to us as a springboard, as a pamphlet, so to speak, to explain this great destination of where we're heading, but it doesn't tell us everything there is to know about God. We can't really know God until we experience Him. We can't just learn about Him. That's the reason that the 
people that were able to accept Jesus for who he was could accept him because they had experienced him. When the Jews came and told someone, do you realize that this man healed you on the Sabbath? That was a sin. He shouldn't have done that. The response was, well, I don't know. I don't really know about the laws of the Sabbath. All I know is that I was sick and now I'm healed. And so I believe in this guy. It's the experience that supersedes our understanding of the laws and the doctrines and the truths in the Bible. And the Bible is meant to be a springboard to propel us into an experience with God. And on that side of experience, we get a deeper understanding of Scripture anyway. In my experience, he doesn't violate anything he's written in his word, but our understanding of it a lot of times is very limited. Well, that's exactly right. Our understanding is limited. And we are completely unaware how limited it is. In the move of tabernacles, revelation is going to come like a flood. We're going to know things about God that we didn't even imagine we could even understand. It's going to be the Holy Spirit that reveals it, but it's going to come in such a torrent. It's going to be like a huge waterfall of just pure, perfect revelation about God and his bride and Mm -hmm. his relationship with his bride and his aims with humanity. And it's going to basically be like we just know the mind and heart of God supernaturally through our spirits. Mm -hmm. And and we're going to speak about the Lord to one another. And we're going to say, yes, yes, yes. And anyone who's listening to it with a doctrinal mindset that is immovable will not be able to receive the gems of the Spirit that God is pouring out through his people. You know, I was a neo-Pharisee. I went to Bible college, and I was taught every book of the Bible exhaustively. We did church history. We examined the original text and said, well, this one is older than this one, so this takes precedence. Learned how to use lexicons and went through the Bible commentaries and prayed before chapel and after chapel. We went on youth ministries, witnessing on college campuses and stuff like that. I just immersed myself in this particular denominational viewpoint. And I was absolutely convinced that that was God because I had scriptural evidence. You know, I had two or three scriptures to back up everything I believe. And when God came... He totally didn't respect my doctrine. (laughs) It was such a traumatic thing for me. God didn't respect what I knew to be true. He did things that I knew couldn't be true because I had the scripture to back it up. My problem is that I didn't believe in a sovereign God. I didn't believe that God could do something that I didn't agree with. And boy, did I get taken to the woodshed and schooled. I tell you giving up what I believed so strongly to just rely upon God was one of the most traumatic experiences in my entire life. I felt like I was being ripped apart inside. And I wanted God so desperately. And it was like a cup of cold water to a thirsty man in a desert, you know, and I was drinking of his spirit. But his spirit was coming in a way that I didn't ever imagine God could come. And I was torn between wanting that water of life and accepting how I had to drink it. And this was the crux for me. It was God. I was sure of it. But the form that it took and the way that it came, my word, that was shocking. And you ask, how did it come? I'll tell you how it came. We had a church of 3,000 people. 
And one day, a minister from one of our satellite churches walked in who had been experiencing demonic deliverance. And all over the sanctuary, demons started manifesting Mm. as that guy walked to the front of the church. And for the next four or five months, all we did was demonic deliverance. From the Bible college teachers down to the new converts, everybody had demons. Everybody was screaming like the omen. Wow. It was just weird. We believed wholeheartedly that you couldn't be demon-possessed before that. And yet, hundreds of people were. And so after that, people started praying in the Spirit. And the whole sanctuary, people would be singing in the Spirit, and it would just course from one end to the other and everybody there was like singing in unison and it was angelic and it was amazing and it would go on for hours and hours and then after that was outside the church in a retreat they were doing the same thing and people started dancing together and they would dance together and then they looked at each other's eyes they saw God looking back And they would just dance around and they'd be moved by the Spirit and their arms would go and they'd just be flowing. And it was, it's really beautiful. Men and women doing it, dancing together in church. Whoa. No, no, (laughs) you can't do that. God cannot do that. Okay, really. I mean, that's just unseemly. But when you watched it, there was nothing unseemly about it. I mean, Mm -hmm. that was just God. And so they came back to the church and the church people started doing it. Pretty soon, everybody was starting to do it. I remember dancing in front of the church with this other guy. It was like a prophetic song, and all these people were around us dancing, and we Mm. were dancing in the middle. We were just letting the Holy Spirit take us. It was If it wasn't God, you'd call it magical. Sovereign God. Sovereign, yes. Sovereign God. And then people started kissing each other. People started hugging each other. People started sitting with each other with a hairbreadth between them in church. Men and women, not married. God can't do that. Oh, come on, really. Yet when you saw him, the spirit was on him in such a powerful way, it was just ridiculous. And I started dancing with this one lady one time, and I had a vision of her transferred into the bride of Christ. Mm. She transferred into like a perfect version of herself in a bridal gown. And I didn't have anything but love, grace, mercy, Mm -hmm. compassion. I was feeling what God was feeling to her. And after that, it got weird. (laughs) What I'm saying is that whatever you think God cannot do, you're Mm -hmm. wrong. Every time that God did something in that church, it was beyond what I was told God could and could not do. And I had to make a decision at every point. Do I follow God or do I follow what man says and my own reasoning? And I just got to the point where I just left my own reasoning at home. And to this day, I don't really care about reasoning so much as I care about the experience and if I know it's my father. My relationship is based on my experience with God. It's not based on what I know of him. Yeah. And I know that people really get entrenched in their belief systems to where they think they know what God can and cannot do, and it becomes this kind of comfort zone for them. And very, very shortly, that comfort zone is going away, and you're going to go over to a place called the God zone, Hmm. where anything is possible, anything is proper, if led by the Spirit, 
and you're going to do things and experience things and be things that you never thought that God would ever do. And they're going to be so God, it's going to be ridiculous. But your natural mind is going to freak out. And I'm telling you, when that happens, what you need to do is still yourself before God and tell him that I'm going to listen to you more than I'm going to listen to me. Right. The thing that God seems to do, and you see it in Scripture and you see it in the experience of believers, is he tends to move without explaining himself. Exactly. And then lead you into a deeper understanding of it as you trust him. Afterwards. <laughs> Afterwards, exactly. We see that with the New Testament church. You know, the Jewish disciples were trying their hardest to embrace what God was doing through Jesus and then through the sending of his spirit. But they were still indoctrinated with their teaching, and it was hard for them to unlearn. I mean, Peter had to get the vision of the rise, kill, and eat thing over and over until he could finally accept, okay, I guess it's okay for me to eat that. But everything that I've learned, everything that has been written, everything that God said was, I cannot eat those animals. But God said, no, I'm calling them clean. Oh, okay. Then, which was something that was forbidden before, God wanted this message of his Holy Spirit to go to the Gentiles. Well, that can't be because Jesus came for the Jews. Yes, he did. He was the Jewish Messiah. But in retrospect, we can see that when the majority of the Jews rejected him, he came to the Gentiles. And we see that happening in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit fell on a group of Gentiles, and that was completely outside of the scope of what the Jews believed God would do or should do. And that was based on their understanding. It was based on their scriptures. It was based on everything that they knew about God. God can't fall on Gentiles. But then they started recognizing, okay, but this is the Holy Spirit, and they're manifesting the Holy Spirit in the same way that we're manifesting the Holy Spirit. It has to be God. So rather than having to have the understanding first, they saw what God did, they went with what God did, and then later God gave them the understanding. That's the kind of mindset that we need to have as believers. God, I just want to follow you and what you're doing. And whatever it is, even if it's crazy, I will go with you, and then I understand and trust that you're going to Give me as much understanding as I need later, but I'm not going to have the understanding at first. When I first experienced a spiritual connection, it wasn't anything I had ever heard of. It just happened spontaneously. It was mutual. It was the weirdest thing that had ever happened to me. And talking to other people about it, they also said, oh, that's strange. But everybody looking at it could see that it was God, and they would acknowledge it was God. And they would see there was nothing impure, there was nothing immoral, there was nothing wrong at all with the connection. It was just not something they had ever seen before. And even though they could recognize it was God, it got more and more and more uncomfortable for people to the point where they said, wait a minute, this can't be. We're going to have to label this as an emotional affair, or we're going to have to label this as something that's not right, because you got to put it in a box, and God just doesn't do that. Well, God was doing it, and I could not let go of the fact that I knew it was God and ultimately had to make a choice. Do I go with God and where he's leading me, not only in the spiritual connection journey, but everything that he was leading me in that was wrapped up in this whole tabernacle movement, or do I forsake all of that so I can stay in right relationship with the people around me? And I didn't understand what God was doing, and I didn't understand what he was leading me into, but I knew it was God, and I refused to give up what I knew was God for the sake of not being able to clearly explain, based on somebody's doctrine, what was happening. Yeah, well, you couldn't explain it according to their doctrine, because their doctor didn't allow for it. Right. And that's the thing about trying to talk to people based on doctrinal reasoning. When you have an experience that's outside mm-hmm. of their doctrinal box... There's no way you can explain it to them because it doesn't fit anywhere in their theology. And this is why I keep saying that we're post-doctrinal. 
we're actually post-normative church. What's emerging now is people are leaving the normative church in droves, but they don't really have any place to go. They just kind of are to themselves. They still believe in Jesus. They still have a desire for God, but they just don't have any place to go. And the tabernacle experience is where they need to look because the tabernacle experience is really what they're asking God for. They're asking God to be one. They want a deeper experiencing him. And when he comes and fills you and he starts to manifest through you to another saint, that is the closeness that you are so desiring. Mm -hmm. And when another saint starts to manifest God to you, and you see Jesus speaking to you through another individual, that is the closeness that you really desire with Jesus. You know, I watch Hillsong, the lady who sings Spirit Lead Me, and I marvel at that, really, because she's up there on that stage and manifesting God's Spirit. And what you're seeing there is God manifest in the flesh. And it's beautiful. It's a revelation. It's not just the words. It's the spirit that's coming Mm. through her. And people in those meetings, they feel the heaviness of the Holy Spirit. They feel in their hands. They feel in their bodies. They want God so, so much. They just don't realize that God is standing next to them or across the room. God is in people in these latter days. That's where he's chosen to dwell, and that's where we must go find him. There was a time when Israel had to come out of Egypt and go to a certain mountain in a certain place in the desert in order to be where God was, because that's where God Mm -hmm. chose to manifest. There was a time when Moses needed to go to a certain burning bush. It's not like any bush would do. It had to be the bush that God chose to be in, and you had to go there to meet God. When you were in the wilderness, when the tabernacle moved, you had to move with the pillar of fire and smoke to be where God was. You couldn't demand that God come to you. You had to go to God. Mm -hmm. If you were 50 miles away from God, you had to change your position to be where he was. If you fell behind, you were just in the wilderness without God, and that's no fun. In these latter days, according to Hebrews, God has chosen to dwell in his His son, son. Jesus Christ. Mm And according to scripture, we are the body of Christ. So where does God dwell now? He's in us. He's mm-hmm. dwelling in We are the burning bush of our generation. Yeah. You are the chosen place of God's dwelling in this time. And if somebody wants to see God, they're going to see him in you as the Spirit leads. There's coming a great realignment. The Church of Jesus Christ is not organized according to his spirit right now. It's organized according to the dictates of man. But God is about to change that. He is going to connect his body by his spirit in the way that he desires. We are going to be organized not by decree of man, but by the authority of a sovereign God who does what he wants when he wants with whomever he Mm -hmm. desires. And we are going to be formed into his body by being connected supernaturally to those parts of the body God desires. This is what's coming. And it's different than you ever imagined. And it's better than you ever thought. Mm -hmm. But it's going to be a real mind twist that you're going to have to decide, are you going to 
hear God's voice or go by your natural reasoning. And that's going to determine what happens. If you read Ezekiel, God talks to him about being a watchman on the wall. You're up high on a wall, you're looking at the horizon, and you see the enemy coming. And you're supposed to warn and alert those who don't see it quite as well. And that's all that we're trying to do. We see these things coming. We know they're big changes for people, and we're just saying, hey, it's time to get your oil in order. It's time to open your heart and mind to the sovereignty of God. It's time to prepare yourself to receive the Lord And that's the thing that we want to accomplish in this podcast today is to open your mind to receive God as he chooses to come, not as people say that he must. That's right. It's like we've said before, you don't follow a man, you follow the Spirit of God. And if you're feeling led into things that are unusual or different and you know it's the Spirit of God, you need to follow the Spirit of God. And I believe he will connect you to others who are experiencing the same thing in God because God doesn't want us to be islands unto ourselves. He wants us to connect with people that the Spirit is flowing through in a like manner. But don't be drawn to any one particular person who you feel like is going to lead you down the right path. The one that you're following is the Spirit of God. And that needs to be something that we walk out in our lives, and we have to do it with an understanding that He is sovereign, and that He doesn't have to explain Himself to us, and that He can do what He wants to do, and our job is to just follow Him. Exactly. The basic bottom line is God gets to do what He wants anytime He wants to, and He gets to do it with whomever He chooses. And we have to get it straight in our heart that God gets to be God. And there's no time when God is ever backed into a corner theologically or morally or ethically that he can't do something. And if we think that that's the case, then we're just mistaken. Mm -hmm. We want to help prepare you to receive the Lord. Our heart's desire is that you open yourself up to him and establish a personal relationship with Jesus Christ to where you hear his voice so clearly, another's voice you will not hear. Right. And this is the way that we can best prepare you for what's coming. Because if you know God, if you have a personal relationship with a sovereign God, when he says, I want you to do something that doesn't seem doctrinally correct, you'll say, well, I know your voice and I trust you and I'm just going to do it. And that can end up being your salvation and the salvation of many people that are around Mm you. It's an awesome responsibility, but God's going to make you into something so precious you will not even believe the finished product. Yeah, that's right. And the power that will flow through you as you yield, like Jesus did, to do what went beyond people's reasoning and to do things that even his disciples, who really had a heart to follow him, didn't understand. He had times when his family would say, "Um, you need to come home. You're making a fool out of yourself. And he wouldn't do what they said. He did what God said. He had times when his disciples thought it was strange that he was sitting there talking alone to a woman. And if they knew what they were talking about, they'd be even more concerned. But they tried to understand what God was doing through Jesus. They tried to allow Jesus to be himself. And God was able to be sovereign on the earth through Jesus because Jesus allowed himself to just follow what God was saying. That's exactly what he wants to do with us now. Just allow God to be sovereign in you. You do what God is asking you to do. Then God can demonstrate his sovereignty on the earth. Amen. And with that, we're going to close another edition of God's (laughs) Love Club. And thank you for staying with us to the end. You know, it takes a lot to do that. 
it really means that you're seeking God very, very fervently. Yeah. You know, you really, really want to know God. And so you want to just squeeze every bit out of what God may be saying through us. And that's great. You're learning to hear God's voice for yourself. And that is amazing. Yes, that's very important. And we're so proud of you today. We want you to be blessed in this coming week. We desire that God order your steps. We ask that God give you a peace that passes all understanding and a knowledge that God is sovereign in your life and will do amazing things if you'll just believe in him. Mm -hmm. In Jesus' name. This is God's Love Club signing off. Bye-bye. Bye.